Well, friends, we, we have two scripture texts that I've selected this morning. There's only one in your bulletin, and I'm going to blame that on the Spirit for inspiring me later this week. So our first selection comes to us from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, and then I'll read from Matthew 26, starting at verse 14. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And from Matthew 26, then one of the twelve, who was called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I betray him to you? They paid him thirty pieces of silver. And from that moment he began to look for an opportunity to betray him. On the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is near. I'll keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them, and they prepared the Passover meal. When it was evening, he took his place with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And they became greatly distressed and began to say to him, one after another, Surely, surely not I, Lord. He answered, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to the one by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that one to not have been born. Judas who betrayed him, said, Surely not I, Rabbi. He replied, If you say so. While they were eating, Jesus took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I'll never drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung the hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives to pray. This is God's word to us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for today. God, thank you for celebrations. Thank you for baptism. 
Thank you for the waters that you have washed us in and the love that you have shown us, God, and the ways that you have served us. God, I pray that whatever word we would hear this morning would come from you and not from me. In Jesus' name, amen. The philosopher and psychologist and counselor Carl Jung used to tell this story about a rabbi that told a story when people asked him, Rabbi, why aren't there more sightings of God? Why aren't we seeing God more? Why doesn't God show up and speak to me like he used to? And the rabbi would say to people that asked this question, he would say, well, because no one has stooped low enough to see God. No one's willing to bow low enough to go to where God is. Seems like there's been a lot of days recently where I find myself wanting someone to blame for the latest problem the world is facing, like the climate crisis. I want to blame anyone who suppressed the knowledge that as early as 1970, maybe even earlier, we knew that the burning of fossil fuels was not sustainable for life on this planet. And here we are now catching only a glimpse of the unusual weather patterns about to come our way. Or I want to blame someone for all the gun violence that at this point has become practically normalized in this culture. I want to blame maybe the lobbyists who think first of their own ideologies and profits instead of their neighbor's life. Or maybe we could blame the politicians cashing hush money checks like the government who employs them full time only means to give them a small stipend with their $174,000 a year salaries, stupendous health care, and generous vacation packages. Well, I'd love to blame them. And I'd love to blame them because they've made so many promises to help the people of this country and instead choose to auction off the dignity of the American people for their own personal fortunes. They deserve some blame. I think we've all been here, haven't we? A little bit angry. Wanting someone to blame for all these problems. Looking for someone to indict. We do it especially in the story of Jesus' passion, which we read part of this morning. Take Jesus' disciple Judas, poor Judas, who's been blamed for centuries as the one who misunderstood the Messiah and was frustrated with Jesus for not bringing about an insurrection to the Romans already. So he turned on him on Good Friday, took his cash, and walked away. You've seen this played out in the movie versions of The Passion, I'm sure. But if it's not Judas who's being blamed for all this, it's the religious authorities, as if they had any unity among them. 
And if it's not Judas and it's not the religious authorities who are being blamed for Jesus' death on the cross, then it's the Romans or it's Pilate or it's the unruly mob that flipped like a switch after praising Jesus with shouts of Hosanna only five days prior to his betrayal. And actually, what we find after we run through who should we blame we find out that it turns out to be a giant case of missing the point. Judas has done something wrong and almost unimaginable. He's betrayed a friend. But even before all of this, you know, he went to the most senior religious authorities and he said, what will you give me if I betray him to you? Implying that he had already gone to others before to see who might bid the highest on his friend and his teacher's head. Where I come from, that's dirty. That's real dirty. So on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples, including Judas, come to Jesus saying, where do you want us to make the preparations for you to eat the Passover? And Jesus tells them what to do. And then all of them, including Judas, Go and make him dinner. And when it was time, Jesus came and he sat in his seat around the table and he performed a ceremonial washing on all of them, including Judas. And then he blessed the meal. And while they were eating, Jesus said to all of them, including Judas, truly, I say to you, one of y'all is going to betray me. And then they all get upset that Jesus would say something so dramatic like that at such a special time and then ruin the Passover dinner. And how could he even be thinking in those ways at a time like this? What had happened? And then one by one, they all say, surely not I, Lord, including Judas. And Jesus answers their denials, I think, by staring down Judas who was in the back of the room, in a dim corner. And Jesus says to him, through tears, I'm imagining, one of the ones who washed with me this evening will betray me. And woe to the one who betrays, Jesus says, because it would be better for them to not be born. And I imagine at this point that Judas and Jesus sort of stare at one another for a long time. And I think this is Jesus' way of showing grace to Judas because, one, Jesus knows he's already been betrayed. It's over. Two, he knows Judas well enough to know that he is going to really regret this decision. And three, Jesus loves Judas. And even here, in the midst of the betrayal, Jesus is offering a kind of grace to Judas. He's giving him an opportunity in front of all of his brothers and sisters to confess, to say sorry, and maybe, just maybe, find a different way to move forward. But Judas doesn't want that. And he breaks the silence with his Savior with a lie that he hisses through his teeth once again. Surely not I, Rabbi. And Jesus pauses and through a broken voice says, 
That's what you say. That's what you say. As they all go back to eating, Jesus grabs one of the loaves of bread, and after blessing it, he breaks it in two, and he gives it to each of the disciples and says, Take, eat. This is my body. And all of them eat. And then Jesus takes the cup, and after giving thanks, he gives it to them, saying, Drink from this, all of you. And then after supper, they sing a song, and they go up to the Mount of Olives to pray. And if you keep reading in the text that we read from this morning, you'll learn that along the way, the disciples are still murmuring about who will betray him. And Jesus says to all of them that they will all desert him in one way or another. And Peter, of course, takes this personally and declares that he will never betray Jesus, even if the whole world stands against him and he must give up his life. And all the disciples sort of like this response from Peter, and so they echo it, including Judas, saying, yeah, even if we have to die, teacher, we won't betray you. But of course, we know, cut to scene, Peter denies Jesus three times, and the others scatter and leave as well. And we might gloss over the writer's touch here if we aren't careful and we don't slow down. I think what Matthew's trying to say by way of Peter and all of the disciples in this situation is that each and every disciple was human and had their shortcomings and faults and not a single one of them thought they would be to blame for betraying their friend, teacher, and Lord. Peter certainly was to blame because of his pride and his enthusiasm, his inability to think before he spoke. So he makes a great example of those who might say, I would never do that. But all the others as well who are scattered after his arrest, all those who slept later when he asked them to pray, all those who couldn't mind a very simple request, all those who were supposed to keep watch they're caught up in this as well. Anyone who chose not to stay woke. They, like each and every one of us, fall asleep sometimes and don't wake up to the reality of things until it's too late. And so Matthew, the writer of this gospel, is telling us to watch our impulse as readers to blame others because it's easy to see how we might be indicted for our part in the story. Even if it is through our simple neglect to do those things that we know we ought to be doing. Like praying for those who suffer. Like praying for those who persecute us. Or like praying for those that we consider enemies. This is exactly what Jesus is doing when he goes up to the Mount of Olives and into the garden at Gethsemane. As Judas, his betrayer, peels off from the pack and steals away to get the authorities to come and arrest Jesus. Notice, too, that here, near the climax of Judas's story, Matthew's Jesus has no impulse to shift blame to Judas. 
He has no impulse to tell the disciples what that evil, conniving jerk is up to and how they all need to band together to hatch a plan to snuff him out before he sells each and every one of them out to the authorities. Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't even curse the Romans or the religious authorities or even his closest friends who are all in the process of betraying him. He doesn't run or resist, no fight, no flight, just prayer and asking his friends to join him in that prayer. And they can't even do that for him. And when Jesus, excuse me, when Judas comes back with the authorities behind him, he kisses Jesus and Jesus hugs him and then whispers in his ear, friend, do what you've come to do. And so the authorities haul him away. The writer is not asking us to feel bad for Jesus or to understand in a nice way that every single person had a part to play in Jesus's betrayal so we should just be really really kind and we shouldn't blame anyone and we should just you know remember that we're all part of the problem and it'll be okay there are people to blame in this story and that is so glaringly obvious that if I told you otherwise you'd know I was lying but the writer wants us to ask, under what authority, as Christians, do we assign blame? Is it under the authority of the law, the state, the power of human institutions that we know are corrupt or corruptible? Or do we assign blame under the law of God's grace? And I'll give you a hint. We don't assign blame by using God's grace. Under God's grace, the question turns, and it would be, well, who do we blame? Excuse me. Under God's grace, the question turns, and it would not be, who do we blame and punish for all these actions? Instead, it would be a statement, the very thing announced by Jesus as he's dying on a cross. Forgive them, Father, because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. The writer wants us to ask how we all need the forgiveness of God so that we don't too quickly jump to blame others for the problems we all face. Now you might want someone to blame for causing the events of this story. But Matthew wants you, as Christ followers or those who are considering following Christ, to consider more who and how to forgive and how we all need it. Now that doesn't mean that you can bribe and cheat and steal and ruin innocent lives. That doesn't mean that there aren't consequences for our actions. Love and service, seen this way, are not permissiveness. People do need to be held accountable for their actions, period. And that accountability could be loving and faithful and godly as well. But so often, when we turn to law and order and rely only on those, we have a tendency to go a little bit too far 
Perhaps the only reason Jesus serves Judas all evening from serving him dinner and wine and washing his feet and offering him a chance to confess, letting him lurk around the corners of the room of friends he will never, ever see again. Perhaps the only reason Jesus has done all of this is because he loves Judas. And Jesus knows that there's nothing else that he can do. Jesus knows, too, that technically he's guilty. Jesus has broken the law on a few occasions. And so he's guilty under it. Period. But this is the whole point of the gospel. This is the writer's whole point. The one we identify as God, the one we worship, who did not take the throne of a god or a king when he came to earth, but humbled himself and took the form of a servant, the one who is willing to die for his friends, even this person is eventually found guilty under the law. Even though if you and I were to survey all his actions, we would find him never leveraging the law for his own personal fortune. We would find him never using the system to boost himself up and depose others. We would find him innocent. But still, when we play these blame games, even God becomes guilty under the law. And so do we. And the writer knows it and wants us to instead ask first how to forgive instead of who to blame. Because these blame games we play can ruin us. What was it that Jesus said in Mark? A house divided cannot stand. This is the self-emptying, the song from Philippians that we read this morning is pointing toward. This is the way of the cross. It's the eye of the needle that's easier for a camel to pass through than a rich man. It's the path of healing that we are invited to walk down with God and people. It's difficult, to say the least. So please hear me. The lobbyists have done what they have done to this country, and I pray for some accountability. And the politicians have done what they have done to this country, and so I pray for God's justice to roll down upon them like some mighty waters. And Judas, you'll remember, got exactly what Jesus said he would get. He found that after the betrayal, it would have been better that he wasn't born. I'm not asking you or us to dispense with justice. But sometimes when these tragedies disrupt our lives over and over and it seems like the world is spiraling out of control, we can become so busy and frantic in our rush to find someone to pin the blame on that we forget that for each and every person there is to blame for any tragedy, there is also a whole pile of neglected responsibility that's left in their wake. And that responsibility is just there for us to take. And we forget that the Spirit of God might be whispering us to pick it up, 
to look for ways to create a new world where children don't have to go to school in fear of another shooting. We forget that we might be invited not to take the form of a God who comes to bring judgment and punishment and justice for all those that we want to blame, but to look for God in the lowest places, to see how far we can stoop. We forget that we've been invited and called to take the form of servants and humble ourselves even when it's not our responsibility, even when we truly are not the ones to blame. Let's pray. Good and loving God, thank you for your son and for his great love and example. God, I pray that you would give us the strength and courage to walk the path that he walked. In Jesus' name, amen.